are you? All right, Galatians chapter 5 is where we are. Um, if you're borrowing a Bible, I don't have that one in front of me, so it's still Galatians 5, whatever page it's on, all right? We're in a series called Letters from a Pastor. <clears throat> Paul, the apostle, as he comes to faith in Jesus, goes out and he begins to share the gospel in areas that are primarily non-Jewish. Now, this is important because... Paul was Saul of Tarsus, a leading Jewish religious leader and a persecutor of the Christian church. Until Jesus confronts him, transforms him, and this is the resurrected Jesus. This is long after the ascension, the resurrection, the ascension. And, and Jesus speaks to him from heaven, changes everything about his life. Saul, also called Paul, goes on to be one of the most prominent first century church leaders at overall, just one of the most influential, him and really in Peter, were these two prominent people. But Paul, being having this background, this pedigree of being deeply educated, highly prestigious in the Jewish community, God calls, of course, to go to the non-Jewish community for the gospel, right? Because sometimes we just wonder, like, well, why? But then you get to this place where these non-Jewish communities are coming to faith and churches are being planted and elders are being raised up to lead the church and then Paul hands those off and he goes to the next city, to the next town, to the next place. And Jewish Christians come in and pollute the gospel. Yes, Jesus lived and died and rose again, ascended to heaven, but you must also be Jewish in order to be a good Christian. And so they pollute the gospel, they water down, they add to, and they try and help the churches manage their faith through rules and religion. And so Paul, being deeply steeped in Judaism, is able to write back to them as he's in other cities and correct this false teaching. So Galatians, the book itself, exists for the purpose of reminding a young church that the gospel established in them was complete and that you cannot add or take away from the gospel. Now, we've covered that over the last few weeks. <clears throat> and as we look at chapter 5, I wanted a new example. We've talked about the deeply political nature of the church. We've talked about uh, adding rules and, and regulations that don't exist in Scripture. We've talked about moralism, trying really hard to please God. We talked about all these things, so I wanted a new example today. And so most of you are familiar with 12-step recovery. Either you are familiar because you know somebody in it, you're in it, or whatever. And so two churches ago, when I pastored Oasis Church, we had, uh, it, was a, it was a good-sized church. We grew to a good-sized place. And every Friday night, we had Celebrate Recovery. We had roughly 100 people coming in the door on a Friday night to deal with addiction. If you're unfamiliar with Celebrate Recovery, it's, it's Christ-centered 12-step recovery. Now, that's good. And, and if you're in recovery, especially, I want you to hear this. We love that, right? If that's you, we're glad. Well, we got to this place, and it's almost inevitable if you're not careful. And so it was 12, 13, 14 years ago. And somebody who had been in recovery relapsed. He went out, and he used. And so some people from Celebrate Recovery went over to him to visit him. And their answer to him when he had used was, you need to go to a meeting. Now, if you're in recovery, that's a normal sentence, right? And here's the problem. He doesn't need a meeting. He needs Jesus. And then he and Jesus need to probably get to a meeting, right? But he needs Jesus. 
And I heard, even inside of a gospel-centered church, inside of Christ-centered 12-step recovery, we drift into a place where we trust in something else more than we trust in Jesus. You with me? So I'm going to use that example today. So if you're in recovery, buckle up. But also, no, I love you. I'm glad you're in recovery. Because drunk you probably is worse, right? So we'll just go with that, all right? So here's the main idea. Freedom in Christ. Paul uses freedom to describe the overcoming power of the gospel. Anything else removes the power of the gospel and creates slavery in its place. Well, we keep that up for just a second. Either you're a slave to 12 steps or you're free in Christ. You can have freedom in Christ and walk through 12 steps. You can have Christ-centered recovery. You can also have recovery that is not. And that's the distinction I want to make today. Even something good can be a little bit off. Because let's just be honest, can you be an atheist and be sober? You with me? Okay. Galatians 5, starting in verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So there's many options for today. We'll use a lot of them, right? So we could talk about how Christians are truly trust politics more than they trust faith, right? We could talk about that. We beat that to death. We still need to hear it again, but we have beat that to death for sure. Or how Christians often trust rulemaking over the Holy Spirit. We'll make rules where scripture doesn't because we trust in that more than we trust the Holy Spirit to lead us through life, right? Or we can talk about how we trust money, education, college, careers over Jesus, right? All those examples fit today. Instead of go to a meeting, it could be vote this way. Instead of Lean into Jesus for all of your life. It can be, we need a college, we need a career, we need this. We need sports to pay for a college, we need this. Because really, we trust in this more than we trust in Jesus. So any example, but I thought, let's take a new one today, right? So what happened with Celebrate Recovery is we traded one set of rules for another. Instead of in Galatians, where he's talking to them about Jewish religious law, circumcision, dietary law, all those things, Torah law, we exchanged it for... 12 steps, right? So were we providing a solution in a program or were we providing a solution in Jesus? Well, at that moment, we turned a corner to where we were providing a solution in a program. We were trusting in the program more than we were trusting in Christ. Now, if you would ask any one of them, they would have said, no, 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 we really mean Jesus, but that's the problem. But, but he needs a meeting. No, he needs Jesus. And then you and him and Jesus need to get your butt to a meeting, right? I mean, like, that's the deal. And so we kind of see where our true faith, our true trust drives us because our words and our actions will often betray us. And they'll show where our heart really is. So the gospel isn't just this thing, and we talk about this a lot. It's not just the thing that introduces you to God or how Jesus accomplishes something for your forgiveness, and then you move on to something else, like Christ-centered 12-step recovery or politics or whatever. You move on. You don't do that. You don't move on to just trying harder to overcome the sin in your life. You never leave the gospel. You see, the gospel is the, the very power that gets you to meet God. 
to be connected to God, but it also is the very power that transforms you in faith, in Christ. It is also the very hope, the only hope we have. That when one day we stand before God, that we will stand there with confidence because of Christ. So yes, God created us and loves us. Yes, we've all sinned and messed it up. Yes, we've broken the world we live in. And yes, Jesus came and lived a sinless life, one that you and I could not do, will not do, choose not to do, if we're being honest, and then died a death in our place. He takes our penalty so that we can have life. He raises from the dead to give us new life. He ascends back to heaven when the job is finished to pour his spirit out in us that we would have the power to overcome. That the very victorious nature of Christ's life is then implanted in us so that we can overcome the sin in our life. It may take forever as we're still in this flesh. But the power exists in you to overcome the struggle that you have today. You with me? So Jesus sends back to heaven to give us his spirit. And then Paul writes to the church, listen, you're returning once again to a yoke of slavery. If you're dependent upon the meeting to be sober, are you really sober? Again, I'm not knocking the meeting. But are you truly free? So I love the program. I actually uh, have benefited from it, and we loved. It was the greatest asset that we had at Oasis Church. Primarily, most of our leaders came through that. They came in and got clean. They met Jesus. They were discipled in faith. They went through their four different books, those step studies that take roughly a year. They grew in their faith. They then plugged into the church. Many of them stayed and served in that ministry. They were discipled. They grew. They became our leaders. They became the backbone of that church. I have one issue it's just I can't stand up here after 15 years of addiction, and I can't stand up here after 25 years of being clean and say, hi, I'm Jeff, I'm an addict. Because I'm not. I'm not going to go out and test that with using again. <laughs> but I'm new. And addiction was the least of my problems, but I'm new. Everything else I'm on board with but I'm not going to be defined by my failures. I'm going to be defined by Christ's successes that live in me. That's the message today. So this message of overcoming, that Jesus has overcome, that he implants that in us. So it doesn't matter what your issue is. It could be your sin, your choices, your thing that is outside of God's best for you. It can be something that someone has done to you that defines you. An assault, right? Where you have been the victim of a sexual assault or a physical assault. It can be anything. It can be other people's sins that define you, or it can be your sin that defines you, but it doesn't have to define you. You can be, in the gospel, defined by Christ's successes, his victories, not your failures. Galatians 2 says it this way. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live in the flesh. Do you have that? 
The life I live, I live in the flesh. I live in the faith. I don't know, I'm going to start over. All right, I've been crucified. We're going to blame Marsha, but it was totally my fault. All right. I, I get my reading glasses out of my hand, but I'm wearing them, so we're good. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Do you see it? It's no longer me. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live in faith. I do not nullify the grace of God. In other words, I don't default to something else, leaving grace, leaving the gospel. For if righteousness were through the law, through the program, through college, through politics, insert your issue here, right? For if righteousness were through that, then Christ died for no purpose. So if sobriety were through the law, Christ died for no purpose. If the solution for America was through politics, then Christ died with no purpose. If your child's success comes through education and place in life and vocation, then Christ died in vain. With me? Verse 2, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You start that timer too. We're just going to pretend this is the beginning of the message. Just hang out. I got nothing better to do. So, all right, so. He's talking about circumcision because they were applying it. And so Paul is speaking to the men and says, listen, if you think you can please God by doing that, then you, if you're going to lean into the law, then you have to fulfill the whole law. You don't get to just pick and choose which parts of the law apply. You either obey all the law and earn your righteousness, or you're guilty of all the law and you need grace through faith in Christ. He says, so if you do that, you got to do it all, right? So circumcision and dietary law was their 12 steps, right? It was their religion. So Paul's point is like, choose. Either you adhere to Torah law, you let that be your guide, or you walk in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Choose what you want, a program, or Jesus. Choose what you want, politics, or Jesus. Pick, and then live in it. He says, because if you try and live in both, you're nullifying grace. Verse 4, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Because if you leave the gospel as the solution, you've fallen away from that grace. You've left grace for something else. Now, this isn't an overarching, if you do this, this isn't about losing salvation or keeping salvation. It isn't about that. It's, listen, when you try and do this, you're putting your faith in this, not in grace, not in faith. You're leaving. It doesn't mean it's left you. It just means you're leaving it. Verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await the hope of righteousness. Where is our hope truly placed? So here's a note for you. Where's our hope? Our actions reveal where our hope truly is. Is it colleges for kids, politics for America, sobriety, or you fill in your blank? Paul continually points the Galatians back to the gospel. When there's an issue, he doesn't try and solve it with something else. He points back to the gospel. He points back to the, the freedom or the victory or the overcoming nature of Christ inside of us to overcome the problem inside of us. 
You can be a, Jew, a, a, a Jewish Christian in this moment. You could have been circumcised. You can stay in the dietary law. But if you trust that for your holiness, you are not trusting in grace. You can be a Christian in recovery and use that as a process by which you grow and mature. As long as it's rooted in Jesus and Scripture, you can do that. But when you leave trusting in Jesus for the power by which to accomplish this, you've left grace. Verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well, he tells them. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you, meaning Jesus. This persuasion, this addition of the gospel, it's not from Jesus. So the question's for you. Do we want to see people clean and sober more than we want to see them united in Christ for eternity? Do we want to see people vote for our political party more than we want to see people empowered by the Holy Spirit to transform culture? Do we want to see our children live successful lives, or do we give our energy to making sure we first pass on our faith? Because our actions will tell you what we most truly believe. Verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. One of the highly quoted parts of the Bible. Here's what he's talking about, though. He's not talking about sin. He is in a way, but he's really not talking about sin. He's talking about adding to the gospel. Now, is that sin? Sure. But he's talking about kind of adding that religiosity, if you will, adding other things to the gospel in order to more fully live out your faith as if God didn't already have a plan for that and empower you to fully live out your faith, that you need to find other ways to offset it. Verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I being still persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Now, you're getting some insight into Paul and the Galatian church and the Judaizers and the conversations going on behind the scenes. And what's going on is the Judaizers have come in, and Judaizers simply means they're trying to make Christians more Jewish, right? So they're adding Judaism to Christianity. They're adding Torah law to grace. And then in that, the church begins to divide to those who believe it and those who don't. And those who don't say, hey, that's not what Paul taught. And then others are like, well, no, Paul teaches this too. And there becomes this kind of disagreement on what Paul even taught them. So he's writing and he's clarifying and he's teaching them. And he's like, listen, if I was still teaching circumcision, no one would be opposing me because it's Jews that are opposing him. He's like, so clearly that's not it. So I'm advocating for Christ, for the grace of the gospel that you receive by faith, that you live out through the power of the Spirit. So he writes this to, to the church in Corinth in, verse, in chapter 1, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Here's why I read that. Brothers, if I still pre- this is verse 11 and Galatians. If I still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed, right? It's the offense of the cross. He says it again in 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 22, for Jews demand signs and Greeks demand wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But 
to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Well, see, the cross is folly, he says. He says well, the cross doesn't make sense. How is, how is someone dying going to help you live? He's like, it doesn't make sense. I get it. It's folly to those who don't understand. He says it's foolishness to those who are outside the faith. Because how can that possibly be? And so he says, listen, but this is it. This is what I preach. It's the cross. We preach the cross. We preach this no matter who doesn't get it. No matter who it offends. No matter how religious the religious might be, the cross is the way back to God. He says, and so some don't get it. Some Jews don't get it. Some non-Jews don't get it. But it's okay. Those who are in Christ, both Jew and Gentile, they understand. Verse 12, he says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. So if you're young and should be in children's ministry right now, elbow your mom and ask what that means. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, anyhow, so um, at one point, Jesus, when looking at the religious, he says it'd be better off if you hung a millstone around your neck and jumped in the water, right? Christianity barely survives in a politically correct America. The Bible, for sure, barely makes it through, right? Because it's not politically correct. It's not easy sometimes. It's always fulfilling. It's always deep. It always hits where you need it to be. It always comforts what you need comfort in and convicts what you need conviction in. But it's clear. It's forward. It's definitely not politically correct. But that's what they're aiming at. Listen, these men need to be circumcised. He's like, I wish you guys would just, we'll say, get rid of the entire argument. Verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So now there's a command. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Right? So don't use this conversation about recovery to go out and use, to go out and drink. That's what he's saying. Don't use this as an opportunity to fulfill the things in your flesh that are opposed to God. Don't go sin because we just said this, right? Don't go fail because we said don't do this, right? Don't take this and abuse this to its furthest implication or this furthest way you could. He says, that's not what I'm saying. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 75 years ago, was a German religious leader, a Christian, who ended up... Uh, helping or working underground to overthrow Nazi Germany throughout the next decade or so. He wrote many books coming out of this, and in one, in The Cost of Discipleship, he coins a phrase, cheap grace. And in that, he defines cheap grace as you taking the grace that is free to you and treating it cheaply. Misunderstanding that it cost God his only son. Misunderstanding that it cost Jesus his literal life, his entire life, that he suffered and died for you. Grace is anything but cheap. But when you take grace and use it as an excuse to fulfill your sinful desires, your flesh, you make grace and Christ's sacrifice cheap. So I'm going to put this note on the screen. So wait, I thought there were no rules. I know. Of course there's rules. 
We just don't trust in our obedience and the rules to be our solution. Followers of Jesus trust in the work of Jesus to empower us. Of course there's right and wrong or we wouldn't be in this situation, right? There's how God created us to live, and then there's how we want to live, right? And how we want to live is so embedded in us that we're born in this way that is just contrary to God, no matter what it is. And we want to go that way, and God says, no, this way. So, of course, there's rules. We don't add rules to Scripture. We seek the ones that are there. And we don't use the rules of Scripture and thinking, if I just obey these, then God will be pleased with me and I'll be righteous. That's not true either. It's Jesus. It's the gospel. It's the power of Christ at work in us that transforms us. So maybe you sit there and go, but my, my burden is too big. Is your burden bigger than the gospel? Is your issue bigger than the power of Christ? That's our question. Because when we default to something else, we're just saying the gospel is not sufficient for my needs. The power of Christ alive in me is not enough. And that's a dangerous, heartbreaking thing to say. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You hear that line? But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Here's what it doesn't say. Walk by the Spirit, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. It doesn't say that. It says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Remember John 14, 15. If you love me, Jesus says, you'll obey my commands. He doesn't say, if you love me, go out and obey. He says the natural byproduct of, of loving him is obedience to him. If you love me, you will obey my commands. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's the same thing. It's not a call to work. It's a call to love. It's not a call to work. It's a call to life in the Spirit. It's not a go try harder or go do this or don't do this. It's a walk by the Spirit. Or, as Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. In Ephesians 5.18, it says this. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. We were talking about this yesterday. That'll come up in six weeks or whatever it is when we go through Ephesians. And it's this idea, and we read this, and what we hear is do not get drunk, right? That's, well, and it says that. It's fair, Right? But it actually isn't limited to drinking. It actually, when it says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. It's kind of pointing us in the context of Ephesians, especially Ephesians 4 and 5, to not be influenced by the world, right? But rather to be influenced by the Spirit. So if you drink too much, you make poor decisions. You make, or you make decisions influenced by alcohol. Maybe you become a phenomenal dancer. I don't know. But just the same... <laughs> You get the idea, right? Maybe you think you're a phenomenal dancer and it's actually a bad decision. I don't know. <laughs> the influence piece is what it's leaning into. But rather be filled, be influenced with the Spirit. See, the law of influence is this. Whatever you take in and you allow to influence you, it will affect your decisions. It will affect your life. 
As we look at 12-step recovery, one of the things, if you're a drunk, like an early starter is don't go to a bar, right? That's not a biblical rule, but duh, right? I mean, like, <laughs> it's kind of a no-brainer. Why? Because the influence is greater than you're built for in that moment, right? Whatever influences you the most will cause you to live that out. Why are Christians so politicized today? Well, because they consume a lot more cable news and social media news and than they do Jesus. If you spend more time on your recovery than you do on Jesus, you're likely to have the answer, oh, you need a meeting, right? Because that's what influences. Your influence, the law of influences, that will come out. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. If any of you have read the book I wrote, it's a few years old now, but in it, I, I tell this story that I heard as a young guy, as a, maybe I was 13, I was young. And I was told this story, and it was a Native American person who told the story, and he tells the story of these two wolves. Now, Fast forward to me, and I'm a pit bull guy, so I like it better with pit bulls. So here's my version, right? <laughs> if you're Native American, just know I stole your story. And here we go. You have these two pit bulls inside of you. And whichever one you feed is stronger. You starve one, it'll get skinny and weak. You feed the other, and he will get stronger. Whatever you feed in your life will be stronger, will win. It's the law of influence did really sound cool from a Native American guy with wolves, right? <laughs> All right, so the desires of the flesh are contrary to the desires of the spirit. They're two separate dogs. They live inside you, and you feed them, because you live in the world that feeds them, not often the right one. It must be us intentionally feeding the right dog, causing the influence that we need to grow. So, yes, of course, do we go to church. And I'm glad you're here today. Live streaming isn't working. So, glad you're here, right? It is now. Love you. Okay, so, um, <laughs> just kidding. So, um, community group, discipleship, your own prayer life, your own Bible study, like that feeds your spirit, right? It isn't try harder, it's feed the right dog. Feed what will grow. You in the Spirit. Verse 18 says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, you get laws like love one another, but there's no boundaries to that. There's boundaries to how fast I'm allowed to drive on the street. Or, well, how fast I'm allowed to drive without getting a ticket is really the law, right? There is no law about how much I get to love people. I love my wife. It is our anniversary today. So, live stream's up. So, happy anniversary. So, the question I always get, how many years? 23 years is the answer. However, had I not been a knucklehead for the 90, it'd be 35 years. So, shout out. She deserves a medal for sure. So, anyhow, right? So, we feed the spirit. We live according to the spirit. We feed the flesh. We live according to the flesh. Second Corinthians says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
Christians today, and it's cultural, it's definitely not biblical, Christians today love to talk about free will. You don't have free will. Let's just clear the air, right? Can you, if you argue, because you're sitting there arguing, thinking, you know, I got it, I understand, can you choose to never sin again? So much for free will, I win. So, here's the deal. <laughs> Before Christ, all you could choose to do was stuff that was not glorifying to God. That's all you could do. Now, in Christ, you actually have freedom, a freedom you didn't have before. And you have the spirit inside you to overcome sin. So you're gaining ground in the freedom department the deeper you live in your faith with Jesus. But ultimately, in this flesh, we still have limitations. There's no such thing as free will. You have a will, but it is not ultimately free. Or we wouldn't be having this conversation. It wouldn't be a need. We just will to be sober. Done. We just will to not sin. Done. We just will to have a perfect marriage. Good luck with that. Done. Right? I think our wills is what gets us in most of our arguments, but I don't know. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. When you fall back to a system, you're in slavery. Be it 12 steps, be it Torah law, be it politics, be it education, be it anything that you place in the place where only Jesus can be. You find yourself enslaved to that system. Verse 19, he says, But the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, is this a list of things that he says, if you do them, you go to hell? Thank God, or we'd all be going to hell, right? Like, who doesn't envy sometimes, right? Or who doesn't have fits of anger? Just checking, because I struggle, right? I mean, like, I got issues, right? He says the works of the flesh are evident. When you live in the flesh, that's where you're headed. That's what he's saying. When you live by the flesh, so there's this question, okay, if I'm doing this, do I really live by that, or do I have the Spirit inside me? So that's a question you can ask yourself. It's not a question I can answer for you. That's a question between you and God. That is one of those above my pay grade kind of things, like, do you really have the Spirit of God in you? That's a question for you. How you live is an outcome of what you feed. If the Spirit is in you, cultivate that. Live in that. Let that transform you. Verse 22 but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Again, it isn't if you're patient you go to heaven. Again, maybe there's a patient Buddhist or atheist. These are the fruit of the Spirit. Live by the flesh, live by the Spirit. It's the same conversation. He hasn't left the conversation, right? Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Fact. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its desires. Doesn't mean it doesn't keep popping up. That's why this takes work. That's why it's not easy. We're at war. Again, it's bigger than the two dogs inside of us. There's a whole army of dogs on both sides spiritually and otherwise. And we're immersed 
and that war. And the culture is on one side, and evil is on that side, and, and much of the world is on that side. And oftentimes, Christians find themselves on that side unwillingly or unknowingly, fighting the same battle that the rest of the world is fighting for the same causes and for the same reasons, misunderstanding that that's not the cause of Christ. Where the cause of Christ is freedom in the gospel. And that when you're in Christ, you have been set free. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Grace was not cheap. It was anything but free. We just freely receive it. I think if we could do anything to earn it, you would require it, but there's nothing we can do. We're not that. We're not good enough. We're not obedient enough. We're not smart enough. We're not wise enough. We're not pretty enough. We're not rich enough. We're not anything. All we are is broken. So Jesus, you meet us in the brokenness. While we were still sinners, you died for us. While we were still enemies of Christ, your word says you gave your life for us. While we are enemies, not good guys trying to figure you out, but enemies, you gave your life to turn us around. Forgive us when we leave the grace, when we leave the power of the Spirit, when we leave the freedom of the gospel. Forgive us. We do so often out of ignorance. Help us to feed the Spirit inside of us. Your Spirit is enough. Your victories over life are enough to transform us. Help us to learn how to live that way and grow that way. Forgive us when we fall short. When we forget it's you, not a program, you, not an institution, you, not a group of people, you, not a goal in life, but you that sets us free. We will always struggle to keep you on the throne of our hearts. Help us. Help us to see that and to do it. Let your spirit reign in our lives. Help us to grow in the spirit. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.